Hello, my modern women. This is your host, Nicole Colantoni, the single at 30, the manual for the modern woman. My singlehood is so beautiful and valuable and precious. And I think that's a lot of what I'm trying to do is just to help people see the value in singlehood while they have it, the, the freedom that you have, the time that you have, the growth opportunity that you have, the, the ability to be selfish and the word selfish doesn't have to be used as a bad thing. It's just, it's so, um, it's so different than the ways that particularly women are taught to view singlehood. And I hope that, I hope that what I'm doing is broadening the perspective so that single women can see you have more choice than just dating yourself into insanity. Hello, and welcome back to All My Modern Women. Guys, this week's guest was actually recommended to me by a listener, and I am so glad she was because hearing her story was truly inspiring. Without giving too much away, our guest today has been single now for over 13 years, and she has also been off the apps for about three years too. Throughout that time, she has written a book called A Single Revolution and started her own podcast called A Single Serving Podcast, both of which are changing the discussion around being single. My modern women, if you've ever been asked why you're still single or told you're too picky before, then this episode is for you. For all my single ladies, I introduce to you Shani Silver. Welcome to Single 30, the manual for the modern woman. Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. So let's start from the beginning. Where did you grow up? I grew up in the U.S. in Fort Worth, Texas, which is, a, I guess, small-ish city, but I wouldn't call it a small town at all. Um, and I grew up in a conservative Jewish household um, with a single mom and a little brother. And it was it's so it's so strange to even like think about being a kid because it seems so far removed from from where I am now. But um, yeah, that was that was basically it. I think the, the there are too many childhood messages to to mention, but I did grow up um, in a single mom household, um, raised Jewish, not not religious anymore, and um, yeah, I lost the Texas accent. Yeah, you don't have a Texas accent at all. Okay, so you're an author and a podcast host now. Tell me about your book. What was the catalyst for writing it? I wanted to write A Single Revolution because I wanted something to be a physical presence and a physical resource that could be with my podcast audience when I couldn't be there with them. I'm not somebody who um, who coaches individually. I don't have that kind of intimate one-on-one relationship with people, but I still wanted them to feel like they weren't alone. I wanted people who are struggling through singlehood who are feeling feelings of failure or lack or shame, primarily shame, actually. I wanted them to feel like they had support. And um, I thought a book could do that. I've been a writer since I'm six years old. This is what I do. I love writing. I love communicating in that way. And while I love the medium of podcasting and it's been, it's been wonderful for me, um, I am a writer first and foremost. And this is how I wanted to say everything that I had to say about challenging the singlehood narratives that. I don't believe serve single women. So that's why the book exists is because I wanted it to be there with people holding it, who need it, who can refer to it in the future if they need to, who can make notes in it, highlight it, that sort of thing. Um, I love the romance of a book, a physical book. It means a lot to me. And so that's, that's why it happened. So do I. I'm one of those like old school people who love the feel and smell of a book. Like I can't do online books. I have to have the hard copy. Uh, but I actually just finished reading a book. I loved 
every single page of it. Thank you so much. And it was so relatable. As somebody who was single for almost a decade, I really resonated with a lot of what you had to say. Am I correct in saying that you've been single for over 13 years now? Yeah, it'll be 14 years at the end of this month, I think. I honestly can't remember. I think it's I think it's 14 years at the end of March, something like that. Okay, interesting. So in your book, you say, imagine the deepest, darkest pit of singlehood despair, and then imagine living there for a decade. That was me. I feel like so many women would be able to relate to this. What did that singlehood despair look like for you? It looked like an endless amount of trying to not be single anymore. It looked like putting myself through disappointing dating experience after disappointing dating experience over and over and over again for years on end and never snapping out of that, never asking myself why I was putting myself through hell, never pausing to evaluate what I was doing to myself or why. All that mattered was that I found someone. And at the time in my head, I believed that the way you find someone is through dating and given them the dating culture that we have now through digital dating. And, um, I had never allowed myself to consider that being single wasn't a bad thing and that I didn't have to try to desperately run from it at any cost. I know these are things that never popped into my head for a decade because I was groomed by society from day one, that what you do is you grow up and you get married. It was just a very simple, casual truth. Singlehood bad, couplehood good. It's very casual. It's not something, no one's, you know, standing on a street corner holding up a sign it's just something you understand being a person who is in the world. And um, that sort of casual baking in of you have to find someone, you have to find someone, you have to find someone, or you're not done yet, or you're not real yet. Your adulthood hasn't started yet. That was all incredibly ingrained into me. So I just tried and tried and tried and tried and tried and never, ever got any sort of result for my effort. So for a decade, I fruitlessly dated. I didn't even have one relationship result from all that effort. And the, the, the lows that that can take you to um, are, are scary now to think about them in retrospect, but um, being able to use them for good is how I, I process them. So how has your view towards being single changed over the last 13 years? Well, I think after I started evaluating what being single meant, I was able to stop looking at it through a lens of lack, what I didn't have, um, you know, where I hadn't succeeded. And I was finally able to look at it through a lens of abundance. What do I have? Um, what, what do I uniquely have in singlehood that I will not have when I'm in a couple someday? Because I do believe I'll be in a couple someday. I want that. It's nothing insane that I'm asking for. Everyone does this. Um, so I know that that's coming, but while I'm in my singlehood, I want to value it because one day I won't have it anymore. And I don't want to, um, I think that the worst day to understand how wonderful singlehood can be is the day you get married. I would rather us figure it out much sooner while we're still in our singlehood. There is so much value here. My singlehood is so beautiful and valuable and precious. And I think that's a lot of what I'm trying to do is just to help people see the value in singlehood while they have it, the, the freedom that you have, the time that you have, the growth opportunity that you have, this, the ability to be selfish and the word selfish doesn't have to be used as a bad thing. It's just, it's so, um, it's so different than the ways that particularly women are taught to view singlehood. And I hope that, I hope that what I'm doing is 
broadening the perspective so that single women can see you have more choice than just dating yourself into insanity. Absolutely. And I'm so grateful that there are women like you out there who are trying to get that message across because I feel like so many women need to hear it. But I'm curious, how did you come out the other side of this despair that you speak of? I think, well, I know that it was, it was fueled by exhaustion. I was simply exhausted after a decade of trying to do something with zero success. I was exhausted. Like imagine looking for an apartment for 10 years and not finding one, you would go insane. Um, so I was just exhausted. I was completely tired. And, and in that moment of like not being able to go on anymore, I finally asked myself, like, how is this serving me? How is what I'm doing benefiting me? And if it's not benefiting me, why am I doing it? Why am I allowing it in my life? I questioned what was happening and I questioned what I was doing. Um, and when I could see zero benefit to that, it gave me the space that I needed to then ask, okay, so what are we doing instead? Let's, let's think about that. Let's think about what is, um, what is it exactly that I'm running from? What is it that I'm running toward? There were just so many false narratives about, about everything. There were so many false narratives about being single, but there were also false narratives about couplehood. And I just found things to be in such imbalance. Like we vilify singlehood and we exalt couplehood when in reality, they're completely equal. So I had like the space to find more balance. And, and that's really how I came out of the misery was just understanding that I was put on earth to do so much more than date. And I just, I gave myself room. I gave myself room to imagine things another way. And as soon as I started experiencing life another way, singlehood became beautiful. And I want that for other people as well. Absolutely. I love how you say we're treating singlehood like a disease to cure. Obviously, in the past, being single was a very real threat to a woman's survival. So women were encouraged to marry for economic security. But why do you think we are still rewarding marriage and shaming single people in this day and age when women can now support themselves? That's a great question. That's an excellent question. I don't know why. I don't do that. Um, I think people who have never evaluated singlehood for themselves are still doing that, still feeding that beast. I wish we weren't. Um, Maybe change is slow. Maybe, maybe it feels too nice to be rewarded when you get married. I don't know. I've never gotten married. I, don't, I can't imagine that it's that good that I could, you know, uh, just crap on my single friends and make them feel bad about themselves. I don't imagine I will. Um, I don't know. I think it's a slower process than we might like, but that doesn't mean it's not worth contributing to that change. Definitely. I also love how you say you don't have to find someone for your life to start. It really does feel like we're programmed to believe that our lives aren't fully valid until we have succeeded in finding that special someone. What are some of the negative narratives around being single that stand out to you? Well, the negative narratives are typically things that, that make us feel like we're incomplete like, are, like we're not fully real adults yet. I, I sometimes think of it as like when you, ha- when you don't have a relationship yet, you're still sitting at the kid's table of life and yeah. you, you don't get to leave the kid's table unless a, a partner, you know, leads you away from it by the hand. That's how I, that's how I sort of view it. And it's so, um, it's unfair and it's limiting, but because, I mean, it's also something we give to ourselves, right? Because there really isn't anything holding us back from anything. These are, these are thoughts that we have in our heads that are keeping us limited. And I don't want anyone to feel shame for ever having these thoughts. They were put there very, very uh, purposefully by a, 
the societies that we were raised in. So please don't feel bad if you've ever felt like your life wasn't real because you're still single. Um, but we have to reinforce for ourselves all of the ways that our lives are real. That's what really helps it stick. And that's what helps that narrative change. Um, and I, I describe it this way in the book. There are a million other examples, but a really good one is like buying yourself something that you were waiting to uh, list on a registry for a wedding. Um, for me, it was a Cuisinart. I love to cook and I was doing so much chopping by hand and so much like stirring of things by hand and whisking. And uh, I was just one Cuisinart away from a uh, much better kitchen experience, but I never, I never bought it because I thought, no, oh, that's what you get when you get married. All these little rewards that I had mentally tied to partnership and to marriage, I untied them and I started giving them to myself. And it is really, really hard to hate being single when you start um, giving yourself what you thought a relationship was the only way to get it. Um, because there's very little, there is very little that you cannot give yourself that a relationship can give you. Obviously like human companionship is really hard to give yourself alone, but, uh, freedom and, um, the capability to do things by yourself, you can do that and you can practice your way to becoming comfortable with that. I'm not saying like immediately buy a plane ticket to Paris. If you want to go for it. Um, I had to work my way up to that. I had to take steps, smaller steps to be able to do that. And once I did, it became the best thing ever. But um, I mean, showing yourself that your life is valid, showing yourself that you can do things alone and the world doesn't end, showing yourself that you can do things alone and you're not pathetic, you're not sad. No one is looking at you funny. They don't even notice you're there, if I'm honest. Like, and also if you're going to start taking yourself out to dinner, please sit at the bar. Just a small bit of like a small recommendation, just always sit at the bar. It's a much more social situation. Just do that for me. Um, but yeah, just, you know, giving yourself reminders of how real you are and how real life is. Um, it reinforces new narratives of singlehood that shed the old ones. And you slowly start to see how full of nonsense the old narratives were. Um, Self-forgiveness is necessary. Please don't shame yourself for ever believing those old narratives, but start integrating some, some new ones. And um, I think it's going to feel pretty good. Absolutely. On your comment about companionship, I do think it is really important though for us to realize that the most important relationship we'll ever have is the one we have with ourselves. And if we don't like our own company, we're not going like, to be any happier in a relationship, if that makes sense but I feel like so many people just focus on finding somebody else to make them feel good about themselves. And that's a really vicious trap to find ourselves in, you know? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. No one else is going to make you happy. It's never going, that's, that's not going to happen. Exactly. So as someone who was single for almost a decade, like I said, I know how challenging it can be at times to watch everyone around you get into a relationship as well as move in together, get engaged, buy a place together, or even start a family. What advice do you have for women who struggle with these moments? Oh my goodness. Um, first of all, it's okay if they're hard. Um, that's, we were socialized into that. We were socialized into that difficulty. So please don't feel bad if it's hard for you to see the happiness of other people. Um, the ways that I suggest moving through it are shifting your perspective from a place of jealousy and lack and into a place of understanding that all of these things that you're witnessing, they're not just mirrors of what you don't have. They're also examples of what's possible. And if you can start to see things that happen to other people as examples of what is possible in the world and how frequently these things happen, 
um, it can sort of sort of shift your mindset from a space of jealousy and comparison and into one of abundance and possibility. I would rather have constant reminders of everything that's possible in the world um, than than not fully participate in life and and become someone who is only bitter and angry when seeing the joy of others. That's not how I want to live. I don't want to be that kind of person. I want to be the kind of person that sees joy in other people's joy. And for a single person who is having difficulty um, consuming the happiness of other people on social media or in real life or whatever, reminding yourself that they are examples of what's possible is one way to get through it. You can also, there's a little trick that I give to um, my podcast audience. Um, anytime you see a couple holding hands or, you know, just doing something sweet and romantic, even a fleeting moment, um, instead of scowling, instead of harboring that jealousy, if you start repeating to yourself in your head, I'm so happy for them. If you practice that one small thing, there's a bit of fake it till you make it in there, but it honestly doesn't take long. It becomes the default setting for your brain to remember I don't want to be that jealous person. I want to be someone who sees possibility. It's just this little reminder that you give yourself. I'm so happy for them. It's easy. It's really easy. And it's a much more positive feeling. It's a much more uplifted feeling. And it's, um, it's just something worth, worth trying, worth practicing. So you make a lot of references to modern dating culture throughout your book. What are some of the problems you find with modern dating culture? So many. Um, the the culture itself bothers me in that it has created a very safe space for very very bad things to occur. Um, horrible messages and photographs are being sent to women in complete privacy, and um, I believe that before you send a woman a message on a dating app, you should have to tweet it first. And I really hope your boss follows you on Twitter. Um, there's just no accountability. There's no accountability whatsoever. Someone can say and do whatever they want. And the only resource at someone's disposal is a block button. But what the block button ignores is that you have to endorse something horrible before you can use it. And I would strongly prefer there be some sort of screening process in place for the people that are allowed to be in these spaces. Any, there's no background check. There's no, there are no safety protocols. It's just anybody who wants to use it can. Um, because they're not, dating apps are not altruistic. They don't care if you find love or not because they make more money if you don't. So I'm, I'm tired of, of feeding into this notion that dating apps want everyone to find love when they're purely incentivized to keep us from it. They make money, that's what they do. These are not, um, these are not sweet little matchmakers you know, working at your behest. Um, these are businesses that are making money and they're making a lot of it. And the longer you stay single, the more of your money they get. So that's, that's a big problem for me. The fact that dating apps and dating products of all kinds are incentivized to never work. That's why I have a problem with this structure here is because there are no safeguards in place for women who are enduring the God awful messages that they're receiving. Um, even just these, I mean, some of the profiles that people are writing that you're just swiping through and you're taking in all of this negativity all day long. Um, that combined with the fact that you're giving someone money and they never have to deliver anything to you, I have a really big problem with that. It's so interesting because people do act in ways that they would never act in real life on dating apps, but it is still a public forum. Like there is your name and your photo attached to your profile. So it blows my mind that they're willing to send these photos or these messages that, like you said, they would not want to tweet publicly. 
or share with their boss. So it's like, why do they think they're going to get away with it? It just like baffles me. Because they keep getting away with it. Because they keep getting away with it. We have built a culture where they get away with it. They do it because they know they can. If they couldn't, if there were consequences of any kind in place, the behavior would improve, but there are no consequences. There are no consequences in the dating app space. You just, you can do whatever you want. And it might not be their real name. It might not be their real photo. It might not be their real information. The, the amount of, oh, just nonsense that is allowed to occur in the modern dating space is, it's, it's more than I am willing to participate in. I left dating apps three years ago, a little over three years ago, and I've never redownloaded them since. I have never even wanted to. And this is coming from a woman who felt compelled to redownload these stupid things for a decade. And it was just finally the biggest release and that, that the absence of the desire to redownload is one of the greatest gifts I've ever given myself. But not to play devil's advocate, don't you think that dating apps need success stories in order to gain people? So there has to be an element where they really do believe that this is working for people. I think they love a success story. I think they trot the success story out like a prized pony. Um, they love nothing more than a success story and success stories are great. And I'm happy that people come together in life in all the ways they come together. Um, but I don't care about that couple that met on a dating app. I care about the thousands who never do. I'm allowed to care about them and no one else does. So yeah, the success stories are great and congratulations to those people and to their families. But what are we doing for the thousands upon thousands of people who never find anything? because there are more of them than there are of success stories by a mile. So yeah, I don't really care about success stories because I think uh, the world over cares about success stories and under cares about people who never get anything from all that time or money. Absolutely. So do you think effort doesn't match reward when it comes to dating in any scenario? In far too many. In far too many scenarios. Of course, there are people who dated for a reasonable amount of time, met someone, and now they're in love. And I think that that's great. But again, I see far too much happening the other way. I see far too much effort expended without any kind of reward coming back. It's just, it's a very unique space. If you want to learn a new language, you see it and you learn it. If you want to get a raise or promotion, you put that work and you make a plan, you execute it, and you're probably going to get what you're after. Um, if you, if you want anything, you can put action in place and get that thing. Dating is a space where it doesn't, your effort doesn't matter. Your trying doesn't matter. You're just as likely to meet someone on your first date on a dating app or out in the wild or whatever as your 50th. It does not matter. It is random. It is up to chance. It is up to luck. It is up to the universe. There is no rhyme or reason. There is no if then scenario. There's no cause equals effect. That's not how it works. I wish it was. I wish it was that simple and clean and fair, but it is not. And lying to ourselves about what dating is, is just keeping single women trying and getting nothing for their time for longer. And I'm tired of allowing that to happen. I'm tired of, of no one speaking up and saying, this is insane. Stop. Stop giving us message after message after message. It's feeding us back into the lion's mouth. Stop it. It just, it isn't fair. And I want, I want more for women's lives. I want them to do more with them than simply try to find someone else. So what's your philosophy towards dating now? 
It's really simple. I just live my life. I live. I wake up in the morning. I work. I see friends. I go out. I try new things. I try new places. I go on vacations. I, I exist. I exist in the world. And I have the utmost trust that that living will at some point connect me with my future relationships. And I get that trust both just from my understanding of, of luck and timing and chance in the universe, but also I do like to remember that living my life has always had my back because there's no one that I ever dated, that I ever met, that I would want to be married to now. And beyond that, what I used to want when I was aggressively dating, I don't want any of that now because I have a firmer understanding now of what I do want. I am so deeply grateful that I never got what I thought I wanted. And that's what allows me to have trust that what is meant for me will not miss me because what wasn't meant for me missed me the whole time. So it's, I, I have given myself the gift of simply living. I do not put overt effort into dating. Um, if someone says to me, hey, I have somebody I think that you should really meet. I think you guys have a lot in common. I think you get along really well. That's great. I'd love to meet them. I don't actively reject new potential partners coming into my life. I welcome them, but I don't seek them out in a um, pursuit capacity because for a full decade, that didn't work. So I don't believe that that's the path for me. I literally cringe over the sort of guys that I used to cry myself to sleep over. (laughs) And I am so grateful (laughs) that it didn't work out with those people now. I mean, it's so funny. I was literally moving to the States uh, to be with this guy. I mean, it just so happened that it corresponded with something that I wanted to do in the States at at the same time. But then borders were shut because of COVID and I was devastated. I was like, I can't believe that I can't even leave my own country when there's this guy waiting for me on the other side of the world. And he turned out to be a liar and a cheater. And I'm just like, thank you, universe. You know, it doesn't look like it in the moment, but the universe always has your back. We just can't see the larger plan that's, you know, taking place in the moment. What advice do you have for women who hate dating, but feel like they're not going to meet their partner if they're not putting themselves out there? That's a narrative that they're choosing to believe. That is a narrative that has been fed to them. They came by it very honestly, but I think they're clinging to that narrative because they still see being single as something bad and wrong. They still see being single as a problem. They have to solve a disease to cure. Um, Because when you start seeing singlehood for everything it is, instead of the one thing that it isn't, you stop feeling compelled to chase down that partner. Um, there is a calmness and a security and a, um, a relaxing <laughs> that happens inside of you when you stop seeing your singlehood as a problem. And it, it, you know, like when you're nervous about something, you have a knot in your stomach. Accepting that being single is a valid, whole and good way to live unties the knot it just allows for such a calm and a, it's like, it almost feels a bit like a meditative state that I I was never able to achieve when I was, when I was dating. And I thought that like finding a partner was what was going to give me that feeling. It wasn't, it was letting go of the compulsion to solve my singlehood that gave me that peace. Um, I know it doesn't feel good and I know it's going to take practice and time and small steps, but if you are having a miserable time in the dating space, you are not obligated to be there. And leaving the dating space does not mean that you will be single forever. It does not mean that you have given up. It does not mean that you are a failure. It means you put your personal well-being, your wellness 
over society's need for you to have a partner so that you don't have to feel ashamed anymore. So although there was definitely a lot of doubt during my single years about whether I would ever meet someone again, I really did enjoy dating as well as having all of that time on my own to discover who I was. Why do you think so many people hate being single? I think being single has a terrible reputation. It has terrible PR. Um, it's a shame. It's a real shame. It's, it, it has had a terrible narrative this whole time. Uh, we hate it because we've been groomed to hate it. We've been told it's this sad, pathetic, desperate, lonely thing. Um, I mean, there are massively patriarchal notions at the center of why we hate singlehood, why we hate female singlehood in particular. Um, we hate it because we're ashamed. We hate it because we see other people partnering and it looks so good from the outside. Everyone praises you. Everyone invites you, you know, to a couple's dinners. You get married, which is just like a huge pageant. Um, you get tons of presents. You get to split your rent. You get to split bills. I mean, they're, the perks are endless. The perks are endless. But you can't tell me that my single life isn't full of perks, too. You really can't. Um, but anyone who hates singlehood, they need to know that I, I, I want them to forgive themselves if they hate singlehood and they wish that they didn't because we come by these feelings extremely honestly and um, they are ours to change. If you would like to reframe the way you think and therefore feel about being single, it is possible. Um, you don't have to be unhappy is what I'm saying. Definitely. So what do you like about being single? Oh my goodness. I love my freedom. I love my home. I love that the space that I spend the majority of my time is styled to my taste. The temperature is the temperature I choose. The lighting scheme is the lighting scheme I have chosen. The scent is the scent I have chosen. The music is mine. Um, the, the total absence of another person is so typically seen as a lack, but I see it as an abundance. My house is not empty. My house is full of me. And I love the way that I live because I've taken the time to figure out what's, what's going to give me that. How do I like to live? Instead of spending my adulthood swiping it away, I've had time to think about what do I love? What, do, what matters to me? What do I want, how do I want to spend my free time? How do I want to spend my professional time? Um, and I'm not, I'm not worried about anyone else. I'm not worried about anyone else. And I think inevitably when you do live with someone else, when you share your time and your heart with someone else, they factor in as they should, you know, we're not monsters. <laughs> They're obviously going to factor into our lives in a real way. And I look forward to that, but I'm not going to look back on my singlehood someday with relief that I'm not single anymore. I want to look back on my singlehood and remember that I am proud of how I spent that time and that I lived it to the fullest. Um, I love everything about my singlehood. There are moments of loneliness for sure, but they get rarer and rarer every year. Um, yeah, there's like, everyone wants to know like the, the moments that suck about singlehood for me because there are so few. Um, the hardest one, the one that I've never, never really, really healed or solved for is um, the stroke of midnight on New Year's Eve. That's always going to be a tough moment for me. That's, in my opinion, that's the hardest. And if you can come out of that on the other side, let me tell you, pat yourself on the back. That champagne is not celebrating the new year. It is celebrating you. Well done. Shani, on that note, both my ex-boyfriends told me they loved me on New Year's Eve 
at midnight. And then that guy that I was dating right before borders shut stood me up on New Year's Eve. <laughs> so New Year's Eve was a really tough one for me. <laughs> so I completely relate to what you're saying. Men have absolutely Thank goodness it's just one me. night. Oh God. I know. I often just say to myself, I just want to take a sleeping pill and wake up in the new year. (laughs) You can, if you'd like to, you can, that's allowed too. You don't have any obligation around new year's Eve. It's your new year. You can do what you want. Absolutely. So what are some of your tricks to living a happily single life? I think, um, oh my gosh. Well, finding community is very helpful. Finding your people, finding your friends, understanding that living alone does not mean like going through life alone. Um, Friendship is vital. Community is vital. Like doing, participating in life fully is vital. Um, Identifying things you love to do is vital. Travel, if you love it, is vital. And like you're allowed to travel because pandemic. Um, There's... There's almost, it, it's so funny for me to think about it now because I've been talking about this stuff for so long and I forget that there are so many people who are still where I was. So it's a hard, so there's a really hard thing for my heart to do to go back in time and remember um, like the pain of, of the ways that I used to live and how, how things are different now. Um, I guess the biggest one is just give yourself permission to live fully. Give yourself permission to let go of what is not serving you, to understand that you were put here to do more than date. You were put here to do more than find someone. It is not your responsibility to solve your singlehood problem because your singlehood is not a problem. Um, I am so deeply sorry for the ways that our friends, family, and society at large shame us for being single. I'm sorry for the ways that they make us defend our singlehood happiness because they'll do that. They won't believe you when you say you're happy. They'll make you prove it. Walk away, walk away. If someone makes you prove that you're a happy single person, you don't have to continue that conversation. You can send them to me if you want. Um, but I just, my, my heart is still with them, but my mindset is so far forward. I guess, I hope that's an example that you can feel better, that you can change the way that you think and feel. Absolutely. I was single for so long and it wasn't because I was still hung up on my ex. It was because for the most part, I wanted to spend a lot of time on my own getting to know myself. And then when I did put myself back out there in the dating world, I was terrified about what I was seeing. Like it was scary, the sort of people that I was coming across. And my friend had actually set me up with this guy right around my birthday. And so naturally when my birthday came around, I invited him out with my friends. That very same friend took me into the bathroom on the night of my birthday, forced me to look at myself in the mirror and said, let your ex go. And I was like, what are you talking about? (laughs) And basically said that the reason I was still single was because I wasn't over my ex. And I was like, first of all, I'm here with the guy that you set me up with. Second of all, my ex was years ago. Why just because I'm still single, does that mean that I'm not over somebody or that I'm longing for somebody? Why can't I just be happy on my own? And so I totally get what you mean, like this pressure that we have from the people in our lives. What advice do you have for women who struggle with that pressure from friends and family? Because I was like dumbfounded in the moment, like speechless. (laughs) Your singlehood is not happening to anyone else. So it can't really affect anyone else. It isn't theirs. It isn't happening to them. It belongs to you. You don't owe anyone 
anything. You, um, I know what it feels like in the moment when friends or family are asking you why you're still single, asking you if you're dating anyone new, suggesting what you're doing wrong, giving you completely baseless dating advice. I know how hard that is. I have lived it more times than I can count. Um, but your singlehood is not happening to anyone else. They have no stake in it. It doesn't belong to them. It isn't happening to them. And you're welcome to remind them of that. And you'll get back, oh, I just want you to be happy. I just want you to be happy. So I think those good intentions are hiding. Be, or like, I think, I think the way that society views singlehood with shame I think that shame is hiding behind those good intentions. I think what's really happening is they're ashamed of your singlehood. They think less of you. They think you're sad or pathetic or whatever. Um, and they're not okay with your singlehood because maybe they wouldn't be okay with their own. Um, they're not happy with your singlehood and they want to put that shit on you. Sorry if I can't swear on this podcast. Um, they want to put it, okay. <laughs> they want to put it on you, uh, their shame. And you don't have to take it. You don't have to take their opinions of your singlehood. The only opinion of your singlehood that matters is yours. And you are in control of that. They are not in control of it. I wish that people uplifted us when we needed uplifting. I wish that people supported us when we needed supporting. But the fact is the world doesn't look at singlehood in a positive light yet. I'm trying to fix that, but it's been a slow burn. So it's up to us. We're going to have to let people know that they're being ashamed of our singlehood isn't how we have to live. That's not our responsibility. And would your advice be the same for women who don't want a relationship at all, but feel the pressure to settle down? I think so. I think so. I think your choices for your life don't belong to anyone else and don't affect anyone else, particularly if you're choosing to stay single. You're not affecting anyone at all. Um, yeah, that's, that's, not my, that's not my perspective. That's not my experience. But I do think there's a lot of what I talk about that translates very well. Um, because your life isn't happening to anyone else. And we get very ingrained with family, with friends, with societal opinions. Um, and, and we forget that we own our lives. No one else does. We are not obligated to make anyone else happy but ourselves. Um, and also just for everybody, just remembering that like you don't owe, you don't owe anyone anything. No, no explanation, no reasoning. Um, we aren't operating from a place of needing to make the world happy with what we are. But I think, I think the narratives around singlehood tell us something else. You don't owe anyone that makes them happy, but you do owe yourself a life that makes you happy. Definitely. Definitely. So if it's okay with you, I'd like to do a little role play. How would you respond if someone who read your book or listened to your podcast came to you and said the following? I've been single for over five years now and still no one wants me. There must be something wrong with me. Sure. Okay. Well, is there something particularly right with everyone you know who's in a couple? Or did they just happen to meet their partner? I think that's internalizing a lot of what society thinks about singlehood and um, making something that's not about you about you. Um, you can't divine your future for yourself. You can't force things to happen. You can't make things happen. And while I wish that things happened on the timeline that we idealize for ourselves, sometimes, I mean, honestly, I don't, I don't trust what I want for my own timeline. Sometimes the universe is so much better at that than me. Like, I don't want to drive here. Um, 
I know that it's not happening on the timeline that you want, and I'm sorry. Um, but start giving yourself the option of seeing the good in that. Um, and stop letting the societal narratives of singlehood become your failure. That's that's a responsibility you don't have to take on. Um, also, like, I mean, how much damn approval do you think a relationship can give you? Like, what is you think is hiding inside of a relationship? How much of a blessing do you think this is? I think we have over-prioritized and over-inflated the value of relationships. And we have completely devalued singlehood such that to not have a relationship is, is equated with failure in our mind. And that's your choice. I would, I would remind them that that is choice if that's the way they choose to think. Um, but there is nothing about someone who's in a couple that makes them more right um, and worthy of a relationship. We're all equally worthy. We're just all living on unique timelines. It's so funny because I never considered myself a failure just because I didn't have a partner. I just was worried, oh, will I ever meet them eventually? You know, even in my 40s or 50s, like I was okay to wait. I was just like not entirely convinced that I would meet someone because the caliber of human I was encountering was not that great. But yeah, these people who assume the role of failure, like it just upsets me so much because it could not be further from the truth. A lot of people in relationships aren't even happy, you know? And so why do we put them on a pedestal? And think they're somehow superior to us. It just blows my mind. But next role play, what would you say to someone who said, I've tried everything from blind dates to dating apps and nothing's worked. I feel like I'm going to die alone. Well, the only way to not die alone is to die first. So let's let go of that narrative because I'm really tired of it. Um, I'm tired of the fear mongering that it breeds. Like, what's the point? Um, Why? Why did any of that have to work? Who, who told you that these things were a pathway to love? Um, a lot of these things are businesses. A lot of these things are, um, you know, something that somebody invented and created that, that they decided it was going to work for people in terms of like finding love. Um, but it's all baseless because no one in the world has the ability to tell you when and where to be in order to meet your partner. That's not within anyone or anything's capability. Um, And again, you're choosing to see these scenarios as your failure, as nothing working. Why for once can we not see these moments as moments of protection? Why are we not allowed to see what hasn't worked as keeping us from something that wasn't meant for us? I'm really, I'm really tired of just taking everything to such a negative place right from the start. Um, Because I see protection in not connecting with the wrong relationships as much as other people see success in connecting with the right relationships. Absolutely. It's like that COVID situation for me, like the borders shutting. And then I find out that the whole time we were together, he was cheating on me with his girlfriend and I was the other woman. If it hadn't had unfolded that way, I would have never found out those details. And I would have ended up on the other side of the world with a guy who was being unfaithful, you know? So A hundred percent. We have to like look at it as a form of protection. Sometimes what we thought was right for us actually wasn't. And the universe Mm -hmm. is rerouting us in the direction that's actually meant for us. Yeah. Totally agree. Yep. So we've touched on this, but what would you say to someone who said, I feel like a failure because I'm not married with kids and I'm about to turn 30. 
<laughs> I will be 40 in June. So that's hilarious. Um, but I don't want to devalue anyone's age <laughs> and I don't want to devalue anyone's feelings. Um, yeah, you feel that way because you were groomed to, of course. I mean, what other messages have we received? Women are, are raised with expiration dates. It's abhorrent and it's limiting. And we always think that, you know, something custom made for you is always going to be seen with more value than something off the rack, right? So why do you want a life that is cookie cutter, like what is expected of women in society? Why can't the idea of something other than that, something more unique to you, be even better? Um, I know it's going to feel like a failure because that's what we've been groomed to think that it is. But again, I see it as protective. I see it as a timeline that is far more unique to you. I see it as opportunity to um, appreciate what you have instead of focus on what you don't. And also just like those, those milestone moments are hard. They're always going to be hard, but I've tried to change them from moments of negative reflection to moments of opportunity. Um, I mean, at its core, what you are, someone single at 30, is not bad, but that the words don't really mean anything when they're coming out of someone's mouth and, but you're the person experiencing it. Cause I was single at 32. Um, I'm still single now. I'm going to be 40 in June. And I care so much less about being single at 40 than I cared about being single at 30. So if that gives you any optimism, I, I mean, I hope because when I was in my twenties, I was like, Oh my God, I really, I can't be single when I'm 30. That'd be like the worst thing ever. And now that I'm single at 39, about to turn 40, I just, it's not even a, it's not even a thought. It's not even a, there's not even the slightest hint of negativity attached to it. Um, because I've just seen too much good come from my singlehood. I've seen too much good come from shedding the narratives that weren't serving me. And I have also connected with so much more positivity around finding someone and around finding love that I no longer see it as my responsibility. I see it as something to look forward to. I see it as something I get to do. And I also get to see it as something where I am hands off because every other aspect of life where I have just been like, let's let it ride. Let's see what happens. It's worked out beautifully. So why wouldn't this? Um, it's hard to tell someone to relax when they're panicked about this, but I hope listening to message like messages like this is helpful. It's why I wrote a book. It's why I have a podcast and they're not alone more than anything. They're not alone. Do you know how many people are in the exact same position Find that community, find that space where you're not the weird one, where you're not the last single friend. You're never the last single friend. You need to keep making more friends. We forget that our single friends are the only group of friends with a hole in the bucket because everyone's going to partner, including you, by the way, including me, including everyone that wants a partner. You're always going to be losing single friends because they're always going to partner up. So make more, make more, put effort, put the kind of like, veracity that you put into trying to find a partner, take some of that and put it into finding a friend and see what happens. The ROI on trying to find friendship is a lot better than the ROI on trying to find spouse. I promise you. So true. It's so funny though, because when I was turning 30, I was single. This was like three years ago now. And I was not upset about being single. It's everyone around me who made me feel upset, which is why I started this podcast because I was like, I'm sick of the shame. You know, this is a really exciting time in my life and I'm made to feel inferior just because I'm not sharing it with a partner. I was like, I need to talk about this and create a dialogue about this because I'm not the only one to be made to feel like this. But it was funny because I think it was in your book where I read you're like, 
thank gosh I didn't end up with anyone who I was dating in my 20s because like I wasn't the sort of person that could make the right decision in my 20s for who I should be with for the rest of my life. And I look back at myself as well and I'm like, oh my gosh, I was just like so not ready for a relationship or to be making any life decisions that were going to, you know, impact the rest of my life. And I'm so grateful I didn't meet somebody during that time. And that's not the same for everyone. Everyone's on a different timeline, but that's the point, right? That we should be celebrating everyone's unique timelines because we are different. And yet for some reason, we're forced to all live the same life according to this, you know, predetermined timeline. And it's just a really unrealistic expectation. So I love that you spoke about that in your book because I really resonated um, with it. I'm so glad. I'm so glad. (laughs) Um, okay. So how would you respond to someone at a party who asks, why are you still single and accuses you of being too picky or not trying hard enough? Oh, I feel like I would just walk away from that person entirely. It's not my responsibility to satisfy them with any kind of response. Um, and also if you find yourself in this position and you're worried about being rude, um, remember that they were rude first. So who cares? Like you, you don't have to be a shock absorber for other people's bad manners. You're allowed to bounce those bad manners right back at them. Um, yeah, I have no, I have no obligation to respond to that. That's someone who doesn't know their ass from their elbow demanding something of someone who has no obligation to that person. So I have very little patience for stuff like that um, because there is no reason why I'm still single. There is never a reason why anyone who is single and doesn't want to be is single other than they haven't met their partner yet. That's it. That's the only reason ever. I am so tired of people making so much money off of all of the reasons we give women why they're single. And then we sell them products or books or dating apps or coaching packages or whatever it is um, that's going to help this person solve this reason, this problem that is keeping them single. Um, that's how people make a lot of money off of single women who feel bad. So I want single women to feel good because when you love your singlehood, it's very hard for someone to make money off of it. So. So not to play devil's advocate again, but I have like three coaches on rotation that I use for different reasons. And when I was really going through it in my single years, and I had a lot of background noise to do with family, work, et cetera, I turned to coaches to help me through that, to work on my vulnerability issues or my intimacy issues or my confidence issues. And I found it to be super beneficial. And I personally could not recommend it more. So do you think that that is a waste of time for women to turn to a coach to work on that? Because I feel like our mindset when it comes to love is really important. We're talking about two different things. You were working on vulnerability or intimacy. I'm talking about dating coaches that take single women and want to help them be better at dating. That's very different. That's not the same thing at all. I think it's um, if what you're working on are things around relationships or things around confidence or um, whatever it is, if that's what you're working on, don't call it dating coaching. Call it something else. Like it's not, um, I'm really, really tired of, of people putting the word dating on coaching because I know that who that's going to scoop up. That's going to scoop up single women who don't have anybody and they're going to hire this person thinking if I just do what they say, then I'll find someone. Um, I would rather it be hire a confidence coach. 
hire a vulnerability coach, go see a therapist, things like that. But when you put the label dating coaching on there, I know who you're after. I know what clients you want. And I know that you're not hiding their spouse in your back pocket. So I really don't like the, I don't like the hiding and I don't like the misleading. Um, let's not call it dating coaching. Let's call it life coaching. Let's call it something else. But if you are preying on the vulnerability of someone who is lonely and single and can't figure out how to just find someone, um, and you're calling it dating coaching, but you're really working on everything else, mm-mm, you're not going to not pulling any wool over me. I think coaching can be great for a variety of reasons, but let's be honest about it. Let's be honest why we're going. Let's be honest about what we hope to get out of it. And let's be honest about what we're actually targeting. Because if someone is bad at, um, bad at, if someone is lacking confidence, that isn't the reason why they're single. So let's not paint it that way at all, because there are plenty of people who have very little confidence who are in wonderful relationships and still connected with those relationships, regardless of their confidence levels. So I'm not buying it. Okay. So what would you say to someone who said, I've been on and off with a guy for years who still won't commit to me? but he watches all of my stories, likes all of my posts, and we have a really good time when we hang out. If you want to settle for scraps, keep going. If that's enough for you, that's your choice. You want to settle for scraps and crumbs, continue because that's all you're getting. And every time you keep that person in your life, you're letting yourself and the universe know that that's all you think you deserve. If you want more than that, stop settling for that. Also block them on Instagram. Like what? I can't. I know you're referring to an entire chapter in my book called Window Shoppers. And I, I'm, I'm going to tell everyone listening, they just need to read it because it is, I had so many window shoppers. I had so many men that wanted nothing to do with me, but looked at every single one of my Instagram stories. What are you doing? What are you doing? I used to get so mad at them. And then I got mad at myself. Why was I not brave enough to block them? Why did I think that would be insulting to them? when? their behavior was insulting to me. As soon as I shifted that perspective, I block like it is nobody's business. I am an absolute menace with a block button. I love that chapter. I loved it. And I love the term window shoppers. It's so accurate. Yeah. Anyone listening has to read that chapter a hundred percent. After all these years being single, do you still believe in love? Of course I do. Of course I do. I don't care how many years I'm single. I don't care if I'm single for the rest of my life. I will always believe in romantic love. I will always value romantic love, but I will never overvalue romantic love. I will never think that it's better than what I have. I will think it is equal to what I have because I think I have something wonderful too. I, of course, I believe in love. I believe in all forms and always will. There is never any need to shed the belief in love, there is never any need to shed the desire for love. You can be a completely happy single person and still desire love and believe in it all day long. I live how I live. Um, I don't want to move through the world not believing in love or not having various kinds of love. So um, yeah, that's a really easy question. Of course I do. What happens if you never meet your person? Okay. That's the easiest way to answer that. Okay. If I don't, then I don't. Then that's not why my soul came here. And um, and I've heard it said, especially on social media, like instead of viewing it as like what you never had or what you didn't get to experience, you ever asked yourself, like, maybe, and you have to believe in this stuff to really stay with me here, but what if prior iterations of your soul had no choice? 
What if they were bound to marriage and there was no other option bound to a marriage to a bad person? And there was no other option. What if your soul came here to be the one who was free? Like, how dare you look that gift horse in the mouth? So if I don't, I don't. And who's to say that like my partners aren't numerous. Maybe it's not just one person forever. Maybe it's a few. Our capacity to love ends when we die and not before. So I don't know. And even then it changes form, right? You know, yes, of course. Form. Of course. I um, have a really hard time seeing a negative in continuing to be happily single forever. I have a hard time seeing the downside in that because I have a very happy single life. So don't threaten me with more of a good time. You know what I mean? Like, it's kind of how I see it. No, but I really do love that example that you shared with us where you said perhaps in a past life, I was in a really unhappy relationship. And now this is like my soul's sort of like reprieve from that. I think that's a really beautiful way to look at it. And you're right. Who are we to know and judge and like dismiss the situation? We just have to embrace the moment for what it is. So yeah, no, that's an interesting perspective. Is solo parenthood something you've considered before? No, I am child-free by choice, very much so. So it is not, um, you know, parenthood is not for me. Um, so no, simple answer there is no. So this podcast is about creating the manual for the modern woman. What are three pieces of advice you wish you knew earlier? Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Start a savings account. Start a savings account right now. And don't think that you're going to skip avocado toast and lattes and be able to build it. That's not how you build a savings account. You don't restrict your spending. You cut your money off at the source and you dedicate a percentage of each paycheck to go into that savings account. That's how you build it, my friends. Um, Do that. Do that yesterday. Absolutely. I wish I had done that a decade before I started doing it. Um, I wish I knew that... Oh my God. There's so many things. How do I narrow them down? Um, I think I wish I knew that there was less obligation in my life than I thought there was. You're not obligated to anyone or anything. And, and people in the world is really good at making you think that you owe everybody something. Life is not transactional. Love is not transactional. Um, relationships are not transactional. It's not, if I do this for you, then you owe me that. That's not how we have to move through the world. Um, we get to be a lot more free and have a lot more um, ownership of what we do and why than that. Um, And I mean, the biggest one is that singlehood isn't bad. Being single isn't bad. The world that's telling you it is, is lying. It is a wonderful, beautiful, valuable time in our lives. And I want us to see it like that Um, because it's just a happier, more peaceful, content, joyous way to live. Um, that's what I wish I knew a long time ago. Amazing. What's next for you? I'm going to write another book. This is what I do now. I am a self-published author and I can write books whenever I want. So it's, that's, what's going to keep happening. Um, the podcast is going to keep going. Of course, I'm about to hit my third year anniversary with a single serving podcast, which is wild to me, which, you know, I mean, it's just like such a, how has time gone by that quickly? Um, yeah, that's, that's how things are going to go. I'm going to write another book. Um, and that's a, that's a very big undertaking. So that's, that's how my time is occupied these days. How exciting. Can we have a hint about what the book is going to be on? Oh, of course. Yeah. So 
the first book was really about reframing the ways that we think and feel about being single and giving ourselves permission to do that. And at, um, at sort of the base of, of all of this, I don't think it's possible to get very far through reframing if you don't have a sense of self-worth. So my next book will focus very heavily on self-worth um, and what we deserve, what we think we deserve, what we think we're worth and why, um, and challenge some of those narratives to hopefully help us reconnect with a sense of self-worth that um, dating culture and singlehood shaming have taken from us. Thank you so much for coming on the Single at 30 podcast. It has been so amazing chatting to you today. And I hope this isn't the last time we talk. Thank you so much for having me. It was so much fun. (laughs) My modern women, thank you so much for listening to this Single at 30 episode, How to Be Single and Happy with the game-changing Shaney Silver. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review and hit follow and subscribe. I love you all and we'll see you this weekend with the latest episode of Sunday Dating Scaries. In the meantime, don't forget to sign up to the first ever Single at 30 online event via the Single at 30 private Facebook group. This is Single at 30, the manual for the modern woman that we are writing together.